Hey everybody, this is Pastor Tom, and welcome to another podcast session. We are very excited to have with us here today a couple people, actually three people. Tammy's here with me, and we have Jeff and Ning Mix, and we are talking about relationships and marriage and all that wonderful stuff that a lot of people deliberate over and talk about and deal with every day. And some people have good relationships and marriages and some people have bad and, you know, lots of good things we're going to be talking about. This is our second session and we're very excited about this. I said this uh, in church recently when we were talking about this whole podcast series that we're doing that in 33 years, we've never done anything like this. No, I don't think we have. No, I don't believe we have. Maybe if we did, it was a long, long, long time ago. But this is really an awesome thing that we're excited about doing and having you all walk us through this. This is good. So uh, last time we talked about foundations, but you know, just talking about foundationally what relationships are. Today, we're going to be focusing on beginnings and what that means. So do you all want to start us out? What do you want to talk about? So um, this was actually because of a devotion that I was doing. And so I was reading again in uh, Genesis and I realized like too often when a passage is familiar, like something that you kind of grew up with and that you read often, you tend to kind of just speed read along and you don't even really stop to think about specific words or specific phrases and what those really mean. And it struck me in the beginning, you know, the first three words in the Bible at the very beginning, well, that's really key. That's very important. Not just that it's the start, this is where it all starts, but even just thinking about on a human level, when we think about romantic relationships and you're all kind of excited and you've got all this passion and thrill and your heart starts beating when you see that special someone, right? Mm -hmm. But you also have mixed emotions. You've got some fears maybe and some kind of like reservations. Like for me, for example, it was like, does he really love me? You know, does he really, you know, what does he think of me? Does he find me beautiful or not or whatever? And um, you wonder about, is this the one? In quotations, like, mm-hmm. is this the person that God has meant for me to be with all my life mm-hmm. or not? Or, or even with Jeff, then it was like, am I the right person to be mm-hmm. his proper help meet? Mm-hmm. Or by trying to establish a relationship with him, am I blocking him from actually finding the true soulmate, if you will, that God had meant for him? So I got all these thoughts in my in my mind. And I think different people have different, you know, mm-hmm. um, at the very beginning of a relationship. Right. That's just on a human level. And I'd like to say that is a big, big thing. When you first meet someone, that statement that you made Is this person the one? I'm not sure what it is in us. I think God put that there, that we want to be with that person Mm -hmm. who is the one, the soulmate, which I think is not a biblical term at all, but it's a worldly term. Who is that person that is made and designed specifically for me and will bring the best out in me. And I I feel like the world says, do try and buy, you know, kind of like the world thinks 
the best way to do that is to sleep with somebody and you'll figure out whether they're the right person. And that Mm. is like the absolute worst thing that you could possibly do with anybody to determine if they are the one because Mm. that relationship isn't determined by the sexual side of it. There's so much more to that whole thing than that. And I think that's a very important thing. It's just an interesting thing that you brought that up because I think there's a lot of people that struggle with that one concept right there. Mm-hmm. How do I know this person is the one? Because I think folks don't want to waste time in a relationship if this person isn't the right person for my life. Well, that's exactly the thing. Um, What I realized is that we too often think, is this the right person for me? So we're looking at it from our perspective, you know, will they make me happy? I mean, we may not express it that way, right? Especially Mm -hmm. if we're Christian, you know, we kind of try to be nice and holy and spiritual. But Mm -hmm. if you really analyze your thought processes, you're thinking, is this the person who's going to make me all happy and bring out the best in me? But it's all from your point of view. And that's how I was with my late husband. Like when we were so young, I was looking at the relationship of how he was going to do all these things for me. The way that God walked me through certain things after being widowed and all, when Jeff and I started, you know, getting together, I realized the question isn't, is he the one for me? God showed me I had to ask, am I the right person for him? I had to change my perspective. I had to change my paradigm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a key thought to have in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that sometimes um, in the beginning of a relationship, there's a lot of times where people will not be their true selves. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll try to be the person that they think the other person wants them to be. I just saw a a meme on Facebook this morning and I showed it to Tammy because it was funny. And it showed this picture, this two-sided picture, this beautiful woman. And it said, what she wants you to think she looks like. (laughs) And then this picture of when you see her at Walmart. And it was not (laughs) the same picture, let me tell you. (laughs) Well, I think even beyond, you know, um, a visual image or something, it's actually personalities, it's likes, dislikes, Mm -hmm. things like that, that people will try to be what they think that other person wants. Mm -hmm. I actually heard a story of somebody that was very allergic to cats and hid that from the person she was dating Mm. because she didn't want him to be offended or whatever and they ended up getting married and uh, she took a lot of allergy medicine anytime before she was anywhere at his house because of the cats but you know just hiding who she was that's a that's a big problem i think in a lot of relationships people hide their true self as we've discussed this a little bit in the beginning you know it's a great place to start because that's where you start in the beginning and i know in my first marriage with my late wife i was not a believer she was by her own admission a back sliding believer. I had no concept of a biblical framework or model for what a covenant relationship or a permanent relationship should look like. So it was all from my own worldview, if you will. So it was all flesh-centered, and it was all about what would I thought and hoped and intended would please me, ultimately. But, you know, the scriptures say in the beginning and then God. God has to come into the picture at some point. And the best place is in the beginning. When we incorporate him, this is his institution. Holy matrimony is his 
original concept and plan. So when you look at it from his point of view, it's 180 degrees opposite, typically. It's so incumbent upon the church, the body of Christ, to do this teaching, if you will, because the world doesn't have that perspective. Mm -hmm. I know I didn't, and it just leads to tragedy. There's a way that seems right to the to a man, but the end therein lies death or destruction. And so, you know, it's a wonderful privilege that we have. It's a wonderful and awesome responsibility, but it's a, it's a necessity. It's incumbent upon us to have this kind of conversation. In the beginning, God, and we go from there. Because in the beginning, God created. So God is the one that creates love. God is the one that creates each one of us that wants to enter into a relationship. And as you mentioned, God is the one that created the institution of marriage. Here in our notes, you have some beautiful points here. Begin with the end in mind. I mean, you know this, um, Hallmark movies. (laughs) I can't stand them. (laughs) I I like Hallmark movies. They're so fun to watch. And you always say, I don't want to watch this. We already know what's going to happen. Right. We know know what the ending is going to be. And I mean, that's everybody's looking for that happily ever after ending. So, but what happens is you need to think about the end in mind at the very beginning when you have that easy part, you know, the the butterfly stomach, all of that stuff happening, because the the hard work is going to be the middle and the end. And part of like what I said before, people like pretending to be somebody or something that they're not, that might work in the beginning, but that's not going to work in the middle. And it's certainly not going to work in the end. Um, Just that if you're thinking about the end at the beginning, you're going to build on the solid foundation in Christ so that you are the man or the woman that God has created you to be. You're true and honest to yourself and you're true and honest in the relationship because if you're not, then just coming together is not going to solve that problem. There's absolutely no way that a man and a woman can come together and be a one unit Mm -hmm. being without Jesus Christ between them because he is that glue that cements them together. And I think it's interesting. A lot of people today think, going back to that try and buy, they think they have to live with that person. Well, I just need to live with them and then we'll see if we can make it. That's not biblical. That is not a biblical model for a relationship. Tammy and I did not live together. We got an apartment. I moved into the apartment. We got married, I think a few months, a few weeks, like a month later. And then she moved in and it wasn't even in our mindset. Well, just, just move in. We're getting married anyway. No, that was not the mindset. We did not do that. Um, One thing I was going to say along the lines of what I was just talking about, a lot of times you see somebody who is maybe a new Christian and they're have a lot of baggage from their past. They're getting their foundation built with Christ and they want to immediately rush into a relationship with somebody. They don't Mm. want to be alone. So they're going to, I got to find somebody. I got to find somebody. And we've told people this before. I know of a few personally, work on yourself first and your relationship with Christ first. Don't try to rush into a relationship and have that be what fulfills you because you're not ready to bring somebody else in until you've built that foundation. Well, I think this goes back to that bullet point of, is this person the one? Because folks think, if I'm working on myself, I might miss the one. What if I miss that person? I don't think that's going to happen because if God is at the center of your relationship with you and him, then 
all that's going to work together. He's not too early and he's not too late. He's right on time. So that's important. Yes. Um, perspective. I'm thinking of the perspective that I was blessed to gain and receive was over the course of a 35-year marriage to my late wife. And like all marriages, had its ups and downs. And uh, in our case, you know, some pretty severe challenges, I think, to the point of separation 28 years into our marriage. And right on the brink of destruction of the family unit, of that relationship that we entrusted to each other, we thought. Um, and I believe we did. But it, so having gone through all that, the Lord reconciled us after 16 months of separation, and we still had our ups and downs until her home going. But what I learned through that, one of the things I learned was love is a choice. Mm-hmm. True love is something you choose. And only through the glue, as Tom mentioned, of Jesus Christ and the, the significance of the commitment, the marriage vows that we made, a covenant relationship. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and until death do we part. And with that kind of driving foundation, one can be inspired, is that the word, or the Holy Spirit working within us can teach us to endure loving somebody when they seem absolutely unlovable. And that, that's a choice. Now, I'm not just pointing at my late wife. I'm, I was 50% of the problem. So she could look at me and say the same thing. But when you make a choice to stay together and you don't get the privilege of exercising unconditional love until you get to that point where you have to choose, am I going to love this person? Based on what? Based on a commitment to the Lord and realizing that he went through so far beyond anything and everything I could ever go through. And he's done it for me. He's done it for us. And therefore, you know, there has to be some kind of underpinning and some kind of foundation as we're talking about here to motivate one to know what it is to live through something that just seems unlivable. So, you know, to choose. And then you get to see some amazing amazing privileges along the way that you wouldn't see otherwise unless you'd made that choice or be bound to it. Like you have <laughs> you have no choice other than to choose to continue to exercise unconditional love. The key thing there, I think, is that, you know, with all our fairy tales and movies and Hollywood and all that, we too often think that love is a feeling, that amazing mm-hmm. feeling at the beginning, but love is a choice and love is action you know like things that you do so when you go past the like initial stage of all the thrills and stuff and the passion it's not that the passion fades away but you have to work at it Mm -hmm. and my thought kind of was like reading genesis there was oh yeah in the beginning god created heaven and the heavens and the earth it's like yeah at the start of a relationship it's like heaven because you know you're so in love (laughs) and whatever you're so excited and then the reality sets in you know once you're married and once you're together it's like huh like Who's Mm -hmm. this person? Do I even know this person? (laughs) Like when the masks are gone, right? When you see the Walmart (laughs) attire (laughs) instead of the pretty going out stage and all that. But that's it. It's at that point where you really have to work on the relationship and you make a choice, Mm -hmm. right? And and it's action. It's not just some feeling Mm -hmm. that is very elusive. Right. You know, I was just thinking about what it must have been like 
hundreds of years ago, three, four, 300, maybe 200 years ago, when in the Western nations in the United States and Europe, primarily people were given in marriage, mm-hmm. right? So your partner was chosen for you, usually by the fathers, you know, oh, my son's going to marry your daughter. This is how much we're going to give each other. And this is the transaction. And these people came together as man and wife. And that was it. There was a a contractual obligation between families and it was it was about the furtherance of families and family wealth and you just kind of wonder how did people make that work because they did for several thousands of years that's how marriage and i'm sure there were bad relationships of course usually because one or other of those people did not engage in that but it was about what you said there's a decision to love there's a choice to love there's a choice to be engaged in that relationship and people thought of marriage differently than we do today we we really do think of it or relationship even not just marriage but relationship as a disposable thing. Oh, if you don't work out, I'll go get somebody else that will. And it's, we always think there's something greener in the the next yard. Right. And it's just not, you know, it's not the case. So what about this God created? Well, first of all, of course, um, when we acknowledge, like if both parties in a relationship acknowledge that God created them, then they'll realize, you know, the other person is valuable. The other person is created in the image of God. So just looking at the person from that viewpoint would make you react or respond to the person differently. Because, you know, we, we, especially if you're both Christians and you're both believers, you realize like be we are both children of God. So our dad, God, our heavenly father, is going to have that person's back. So we better not mistreat them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. just like one way of putting it. But also, it is God that created our emotions, our desires, our passions. And, you know, those are like um, like fire. It can be really amazing and wonderful when used properly. So there's a proper setting for expressing all those passions and that is the marriage like as God designed it and so it kind of all goes back to how we start with the end in mind is that we first need to know God first of all and we need to know what was God's design for a relationship and particularly specifically marriage right between man and a woman because that's mm-hmm. the first institution that God created. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And that's a very important statement that you make that is being attacked and is under question in the entire world. And I believe that you just said it, God created that institution, that organizational unit for power, for procreation, for blessing, and of course, the enemy, Satan, would want to destroy that because God set it up and he wants to destroy everything that God has set up and made to work. So that's a very important thing. We have to understand how that works. And I think folks get upset about that because they feel that it's discriminatory or whatever. It has nothing to do with discrimination at all. It has to do with facts. These are facts that we're dealing with, biblical and actually physical facts that make sense. And, you know, it's important stuff. Very, very important. 
And, and again, it, it comes back on the church. Again, it's incumbent upon the church to, to man this responsibility, if you will, to shoulder this burden, this responsibility of teaching, simply because God has entrusted this institution to his body. And those of us in the body are obligated, we should be, to study the master's design. You know, that's one of the subtitlers we bandied about uh, different uh, ways to, to label these sessions. This one that we're into now is God's design. So we have to keep coming back to the master designer and considering his, not only his point of view, but the fundamental elements that need to be incorporated and practiced in this relationship. So it's just, it's so neat to keep coming back to God. And if we're not coming back to God, then we're going in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. We're going away from him and we're going toward the world. And that right. model that the world lifts up is fraught with error. And A lot of error. Well, and here's the other thing. This is my opinion about this means nothing. I mean, it's a fact. I mean, I can think I don't want to have to deal with the mundane action of breathing air anymore. But the bottom line is, if I don't breathe air, I will die. If I don't drink water, I will die. If I don't eat food, I will die. These are all things that God created. So why would we think that we can redesign something that he's designed that is full? So if he designed it, it's full of power and ability and blessing for the generations, not just for that unit, but for the generations. So this whole scripture, I think, I don't know if you mentioned this at the beginning or not. I was going to say, can I, this scripture... Uh, Malachi 2.15 in the Message Bible says, God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. Yeah, that's good. And so that's what I was going to say. We've been talking about the Genesis, really, 1, 2, and 3 discussion of in the beginning and the creation of man and the, and the earth and everything in it, the universe, and, and the, then the marriage relationship. But I think it's important, uh, where I was going with this, uh, is... You've got these scriptures here. It is good. Do you, either one of you want yeah. to talk about that? Yeah. Um, I was just thinking um, how, that, how that came to my awareness. Uh, again, after a 35-year marriage, I never even thought about that. Even in the course of a 35-year marriage, it was when, when the Lord brought Ning and I together in our premarital counseling that our pastor in Maryland, where we were living at the time, walked us through that in the beginning. Creator God, it is good. Every time, every day that God created an element of our world we live in, he reflected for a moment, and his reaction was, it is good. And for us to consider his point of view is mystifying and intriguing and inspiring, but yeah, it's good. Inherently, instinctively, we know typically what something is good. You know, it looks good, feels good, tastes good, whatever it is. But it's neat to get God's point of view and a confirmation of that in Scripture. So seven times in, in uh, Genesis, in uh, chapter 2, actually, it goes through... No, actually, one chapter one, uh, seven times or six times he said it is very, it is good, and then the seventh time in, in uh, verse thirty-one of chapter one, then God saw everything that He had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So it, it's good, 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 and then it's very good, and then it was pointed out to me in chapter two as God is in the framework of creating man in his image, male and, male and female, he created them. In verse 18 of chapter two, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. 
I will make a helper comparable to him. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Ah, man, the first, the first negative, if you will, in the word. Something is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. You know, and then it stems from there. And, and this, again, I learned this four years ago. <laughs> or at least coming to that awareness, you know, that it's so neat to see God's fingerprints all over everything. And, uh, you know, they're there. And oftentimes, I'll speak for myself, I've, I don't see them or I'm ignorant of them. But when you delve into Scripture and then you delve into the schoolhouse of life, and he shows you so many things in his creation that are inspiring and motivating, intriguing, fascinating, um, you know, just wants to spur you on to fulfilling that which he has as his plan for you and I and for man to be alone. I, I just want to say one other thing, too. In terms of my experience, a 35-year marriage, my wife suddenly went home to be with the Lord very unexpectedly one day. And, um, you know, the grieving process was the largest mountain I've ever had to climb in my life. That's the second one was when we separated 28 years in our marriage and right on the brink of a, of a dead marriage. And anyway, so grief was a, was a real tall mountain, very steep mountain to climb. But once the Lord brought me through that after a year... He gave me, and, and, and maybe we'll get into this a little more in testimony time, but he gave me this strong, powerful drive to want to seek another covenant relationship. You know, having looked back on a 35-year marriage with all the ups and downs and difficulties, you know, one could say, man, I've had enough of that. I don't want to ever go back to that thing again. No, it really intrigued me and motivated me to, to be able to sustain a relationship that's based on a promise to fulfill a covenant, to fulfill those marital vows, and to having gone through the valley of the shadow of death and knowing that God is with me, walking me through that as he walked me every step of the way through grief. And it was fascinating to me, <laughs> the steps that God pointed out to me in the fulfillment of time and grief and getting through that period of seeking another covenant relationship because it just left such a good taste in my mouth. I yeah. wanted to taste that again. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me because as a pastor, I've seen, well, really not just as a pastor, as, you know, as a person, seeing relationships, whether they be young uh, men and women or older, you know, I've known gentlemen in their 70s, you know, late 70s, early 80s that get remarried. And you think, what is that drive to want to be with that partner. And I think it goes back to this. It is not good for Mm. man to be alone. Mm. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So God put thought into what he was putting together. And it wasn't a man to a man or a woman to a woman. It was a man and a woman created from man to be together. She was suitable for him. She was made as part of his body. That is the God-ordained, God-designed relationship. And I understand as we say those words, there are people that would blanch and be very hateful and very full of hate and mean and nasty about what we just said, maybe calling us bigots or discriminators or whatever. But you know what? Be that as it may, I will stand by the word of God. And to me, it's whether you're 20 or whether you're 80 or 90. And even Abraham, when Sarah passed, remarried and had, I think, five or six more sons from his new wife. So 
there is that drive that God puts into us. Age has nothing to do with it. It, you know, it's this hunger that he puts in us to be with. And this goes back to that very first thing that you started with. Is this person the one to be with that person who is our help meet that he's put us with? So just an amazing thing when you think about it, that you both have been through that in your lives. And I'm I'm, not, I'm trying real hard not to ask questions relative <laughs> to your life because we're going to talk about your testimonies upcoming here shortly. But that's an awesome thing to think that that is love reborn in the midst of loss and, you know, that whole thing. I remember coming, if you will, kind of coming down off the mountaintop of having survived grief. And in my case, it literally was one year later when, when the Lord started to really open up my awareness and horizons and considerations. And, you know, the good news is uh, the more time you spend in Scripture, the more times it'll come forward to meet you at your point of need as you walk through the, the needs in life. And, and I'm so blessed in that regard. Um, God spoke so many powerful Scriptures to me through the course of our separation and through the course of our reconciliation and then our uh, walking through that valley of shadow of death and trusting him throughout, even though it was challenged severely to the point of considering the wrong way to go, which thank God it didn't go that way. But anyway, you know, so scripture was great, but some worldly phrases came to mind too. And I'm not a big proponent of a lot of old rock and roll things, as Ning knows. <laughs> but one, th one thing that kept coming through my head was go find someone to love. Not just someone, but in that context of a covenant relationship. Go find another covenant partner, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, that kept screaming at me along with a lot of other things. And you know, so I just felt driven, pushed, and, and not pulled, but pushed. I felt like God's wind was at my back and he was pushing me down this path. And again, we, we can fill in some of those details later, perhaps. So I really felt that. And just in that context of a covenant relationship, because it's so sweet, it's so difficult, and it's so at times bitter, but ultimately it is sweet as God brings us through these things. And I just couldn't get enough of that taste. You know, I want to kind of wrap this up. So we've been talking about relationships and how they begin and God's design in those relationships. And I think a lot of people do not understand when they enter into a relationship that God has already set a design for how that should look. And I think if people get anything out of this discussion today, that they would think about what is God's design for my relationship with any other person of the opposite sex. What is that supposed to look like? How am I supposed to be? What should I expect from them? What should that look like? Am I including other people in that discussion? Am I seeking advice that is biblical advice? Are people telling me what the Bible says? If they're not, get away from them, throw it out. Find somebody that will tell you what the Word of God says, because that's the only thing that matters. You don't need people's opinions about what they think. You need what people say the Word of God says, because we want to know what the design is. I'm excited about that. I think we're going through this, and I like, um, Ning, I'm just going to say this from your notes. You say here that you love to garden, and I kind of feel like we are just walking through this beautiful garden of a discussion of relationships, marriage, covenant, beginnings, 
endings, what that, what is that supposed to look like? And I hope that we get lots of comments and people give us ideas about what they're thinking about this whole thing because it's important, very, very important. So we're going to end this time unless anybody's got a closing comment. Anybody you want to say something for the close here? Just a small thought. Um, you had mentioned this earlier. Um, when we think about, is this person the one? And then it's kind of like that fear of missing out. That seems to be a common mm-hmm. um, issue today, right? But if we believe in God and if we know that God has the best in mind for us, like it is said in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, we don't have to be afraid of missing out Mm-mm. because in due time or at the right time, God knows mm-hmm. and he will work things out mm-hmm. even as like, you know, he brought Jeff and I together. Right. <laughs> Over right. 3,000 miles apart. And right. So. God has timing. There's a timing in the Word of God. So that the that scripture that you just mentioned, in the right time, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So our salvation, which is so important to our relationship with God and walking into the throne, our, our salvation was orchestrated at just the right time in the history of the world for all of us to be saved. So... God's got it. If he's got our salvation timed, what about our relationships? That falls somewhere in the maybe lower <laughs> on the on the thoughts of what's important to God. So, Jeff, would you like to pray us out? Praise God. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is, Lord, to consider you. I pray in all of our ways, Father God. Your word is rich, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it divides asunder between the joints and the marrow and the thoughts and the the spirit and the soul and the, the discerner, the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, Father, thank you for this time that we can mm-hmm. come together as couples, yes. as uh, children in your body, Lord, as your creation, Father, and that we can look up and, and seek to acknowledge you in all of our ways. And then we'll know that you'll direct our paths and we won't trust in ourselves to discern how we ought to move forward in our relationships. So, so Father, teach us, Lord, open our hearts to receive. Um, help us to see you, Lord, in your word, in our relationships, in the way we we ought to respond, Father God, in a way that's pleasing to you and efficacious, healthy for us, Lord God. So we give you this time in our lives. May they be uh, pleasing in your sight. We pray, Father, for those that are listening, Lord, that they would be intrigued and motivated and uh, inspired to get, to draw closer to you, Father, for you alone are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. God bless you.